Hello everybody, this is Unboxing Story. My name's John. And I'm Melissa. And uh, this is a podcast where we break down the meaning behind uh, our favorite movies and books and games. Um, And so today's episode is going to be about prequels. Because uh, Solo, a Star Wars story came out and uh, I went to see it the other day. But it's an interesting topic to bring up when you're talking about storytelling because it seems like there's you can have different goals in mind um, when you're trying to take a character and tell a story from before you know you know this character. Uh, I feel like in the age of franchises, the idea is that um, cynically you, you kind of want to uh, use something that you know people are attached to, and so it's kind of like a guaranteed... Um, you know, box office, and you're talking about a movie, um, and, like, people already have a certain commitment to this character, but then at the same time, if you're not going to be cynical about it, you can think, people grew up with these characters, and, like, when I was uh, a comic book fan, I always dreamed of writing a Batman comic or a Spider-Man comic, and so you can think of, you know, a, a writer that's always imagined what a Han Solo adventure would look like. So basically fan fiction? Right. <laughs> it's like, this is... But, you know, uh, we, we briefly talked uh, before uh, we went live about, um, like, the new 007, and I, I really like uh, Daniel Craig's interpretation of it, and it seems like very much um, different from the original Bond movies that were kind of like... Uh, goofy in some ways and and very like specific to the time it doesn't seem like they're trying to do like period pieces where it feels like uh, the 60s and 70s um, or you know harken back to specific story elements it really feels like they're making a new character and um, you know keeping some elements of what the the core of the character is uh, but really they redefined him in in the new movies um, so I have a list of um, some prequels that I personally have seen and what I thought Melissa might have seen. Um, so technically, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom is a prequel. But uh, I was saying to Melissa that it seems like that was before we were getting into this big... Because Spielberg and Lucas really defined what a blockbuster was. And until you had Star Wars and... Um, I guess, yeah, Star Wars is the, is the biggest uh, example, and Indiana Jones, you didn't really have these big franchises that people would go see, you know, six or seven movies of. Um, and so the fact that that storyline takes place before all the stuff with the Nazis um, and before he meets Marion and everything, it's not really, you know, a, a bit, like I gave the example of, uh, and they teased this a little bit with the kingdom, uh, what is it, the kingdom of the, kingdom of the crystal, crystal skull. They did that, that funny fake out where it looked like Shia LaBeouf was going to take the hat and it was going to be setting up for a thing. And then he's just like, give that back, <laughs> which was so funny. Um, but like, it didn't do anything stupid where it's like, you know, he doesn't have a hat for 90% of the movie and then all of a sudden he has a hat. Um, those kind of tropes that we've gotten used to with some prequels. Um, it's just kind of a fun Indiana Jones movie, and I think that it's it's interesting because it is very different from the other movies in that, like, it's a really a lot darker 
Um, and, you know, like some people, they see somebody's heart getting pulled out of their body and they're like, like, I don't, what is this? Like, yeah. I didn't sign up for this. It's also the one you should not view when watching, when eating uh-huh. dinner. So, right. So if you're, um, and especially if you're, if you're at you're, all squeamish. <laughs> yeah, it's not the one to watch first. Um, but I would, I would like to point out, and I just thought of it uh-huh. as we were talking about the Indiana Jones sure. ones. It seems like we are, <laughs> at least for those, for some movies, um, desperately trying to finish certain franchises while we have certain actors alive with us still. Uh-huh. So, like, they needed to do another Indiana Jones while Harrison Ford was willing to do one. Right. They needed to finish certain Star Wars things while he was still willing to be in it. Uh-huh. Um, and Blade Runner is another example for him. Oh, right, right. reprised one of his roles. Um, Tom Cruise is still doing... <laughs> Mission Impossible things. Uh-huh. You know, Bruce Willis, although Bruce Willis isn't necessarily staying in the same franchise, but it's the same type of movie that he's still doing. You know, mm-hmm. there's like certain ones that they are, and obviously these aren't prequels because the actors are much older now. Mm-hmm. But, um, but the idea that like we're sticking with this particular person. Mm-hmm. Right. More, and, than, and more than even the franchise idea, it's like it's, it has to be this guy playing him. Right. And, and it's, it, that's a big conversation people get into about the Marvel movies where, like, everybody's going to revolt when they see somebody else play Iron Man or Captain America. Because they were so good at them. Yeah. They're so iconic as them now. Right. Um, but it's, uh, um, it's that, that's an interesting case that I hadn't so, even thought of as a prequel. Uh, one, one big one from uh, our... Our fandom past, <laughs> ghosts of fandom past, is X Men Origins Wolverine, yeah. which I, I don't understand how the quality went from. I mean, I, I I'm, I'm assuming it was a different director. It was a different vision of what this franchise was going to be. They were going to do multiple origins movies, and um, you know, you know, origins if for those. I'm just it's. It's such a because comic book movies are so big now, and comic books have had a slight resurgence in popularity. You know, origins is the idea of like you, you, you know this character. This is how they became that character, and it's a big thing with prequels is finding out how they became who they are. Um, Smallville is also on the list here. It's very similar. So are we are we going to start talking about issues with prequels, or are we going to save that to the end? Well, no, I, I feel like we should set it up and then talk about Star Wars specifically because it's like the big, like, oh, okay. <laughs> when, pe- when you say the word prequel, prequels. people think of how <laughs> their childhood was destroyed. It was destroyed by, by the, the Star Wars prequels. By Star Wars prequels. Um, um, but the, because different prequels suffer from different things. And I mean, I think the Star Wars prequels were an example of probably more of those things than other things. Well, I think it's, it's, it's one of the biggest about. franchises of all time. And Darth Vader was one of the biggest characters yes, of all. Yes, one of the best villains um, ever. But to, to go back to X-Men, Sorry. <laughs> Wolverine <laughs> was very similar in that he was driving the X-Men franchise. And so when you take this beloved character and you have this crappy movie surrounding him, it it was, you know, it was almost a death knell for that whole thing. But then they decided, okay, we'll do uh, X-Men First Class. We'll reboot this and tell, like, the, the beginnings of the X-Men in kind of this different... Like, that. the first movie was very much kind of like a stylish uh, 60s period thing. And then they did, like, the, that idea to do, like, the 60s, 70s, 
apocalypse in the 80s, and um, we won't talk about that. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but the... You like apocalypse? I, I, I didn't like it as much as the other ones. Okay. I, I liked uh, Days of Future Past and, and First Class a little bit better. Um, but the that, that, that whole thing, that idea of, like, we're going to show... We're going to do these standalone movies, and they kind of floundered a little bit. Um, they didn't seem like... Like, it was very interesting because in some ways it was very much a classic Wolverine story. Like, that happened in the comics 50 times where he finds a family, he tries to settle down, and something from his past calls, you know, comes back, and, you know, his family dies tragically, and then he moves on. <laughs> it's like, a, it's a... I don't know if it's that that kind of story only worked back in the 80s where there was all those like characters like Mad Max and the Punisher that kept like were in that weird nihilistic cycle where like they couldn't find happiness and like you know the the mission was the thing that like kept them sane like being able to you know um bring justice in in some irrevocable manner see but, my thought too was I think that was a weird way to go with a Wolverine origin story. Yeah. Because most of the conflict that drives a Wolverine story is the fact that he doesn't know his origin. Mm. So either you get stuck in that loop where he still doesn't know what his origin is and he's trying to fit in with the world, or you actually go back to the beginning and finally show us how in the world he became Wolverine. Right. As opposed to yeah, whatever all his other stuff he is. Has, he has, like, 50 origins. Right. Because he has... Um, like, did like, he have a mutagenic origin, or was he born that way? Like, I don't even know that part. Like, because he was I, the big how thing old is, is that he? he was Can born. Can you tell us that for once? He was <laughs> born in like the Revolutionary War, and he's like really old. And then at some point, his memory was wiped, and he was experimented on. So you have like flashbacks to in the comics, at least flashbacks to him in fifty different wars. Uh, but then you have this one singular thing where he was given the adamantium claws and stuff but that even with the second the movie the wolverine you still have that like he's going to japan and like there's this this specific part of his past but I, it kind of muddies the waters when you have like he knows all these weird like sideshow freak type people and they're they, they try to make it seem like you know, um, they, they, they there's a weird tonality problem with that movie. That's like half of it is like a, a like what what's his name? Um, it's not Schuster, the guy, Schumacher, the, the guy that did the old Batman movies. Half of it is a Schumacher <laughs> version of Wolverine. Yeah, and then half of it is. Uh, like Logan, the one that just came out, that's like Which super I still dark haven't seen. You should put that on the list. I haven't seen that. Oh one. yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, you have these weird um, problems with uh, doing a character like that and trying to make a comic book movie. And well, that one um, I am going to be completely uh, cynical about. Uh-huh. They did that because they know they could get a bunch of women to come watch a, a Jackman movie. Like, <laughs> right. that had nothing to do with actually trying to explore no, that character no. at all. No. That was just, hey, come watch Hugh Jackman take off his shirt and fight people. Sure. Right. <laughs> I'll pay for that. Sure. I'll, I'll, I'll pay 12 to 13 bucks. Um, so, that's that's one dark chapter in the saga of <laughs> prequel. 
Um, uh, Monster University, I thought was cute. I did very yes. much. Yes. They, it was very much a formulaic Pixar type thing, but it was executed well enough. It was funny. It was. Um, don't knock. Ex- don't knock Pixar's formula. It makes me cry all the time. I, I, I know. Like, but that's the thing is that when it's good, you you don't have that problem that props up among nerds where. The, like they see, oh, there's gonna be a prequel, and they automatically think cash grab. Right. They're not trying here. They're just trying to get money. Um, but that one was was pretty good. Yeah. Um, I watched Annabelle at like a house party one time. That's uh, uh for those who don't know a prequel from the Conjuring series, but that one I think was interesting because whether or not you think it was just a cash grab. It seemed like they were setting that up from the beginning to be a series because that um, the Warrens had had all these experiences with different paranormal stuff, um, and so they had this like museum full of creepy things, <laughs> and they're like, "Don't touch that doll over there." And then you see the doll, and you're like, "I don't want to ever see this doll yeah, again." Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and that movie was pretty much just built on the fact that this doll looks creepy. <laughs> um, so I thought it was like a, it was a, for horror fans it was perfectly reasonable. Um, then <laughs> we're gonna get into uh, Melissa's favorite topic, <laughs> Star Trek Discovery, um, which you said it's kind of a prequel. Please explain well, why it's might. Well, why it's I can't I can't talk because they finally actually started connecting it to. Um, the original series, and I haven't watched it since. But what's confusing to me as a, as a non, as a noob to the Star Trek phenomenon, is is it tying to the the movies version of the OG series? I don't know because I haven't watched it since. Oh, okay. So I only watched the first half of the first season. Okay. Right, and they didn't start dealing with actual original series stuff until after I. Oh, watching okay. it. So you so know, I know that there are like Captain um, Pike, Captain Pike, and Kirk, and all of them are there now. But mm-hmm. I don't know exactly how okay. that's working out. Because mm-hmm. yeah, I stopped watching it because it was <laughs> driving me insane. So why was it? Why was it so driving you insane? The other Star Trek franchise, or, or the other Star Trek series that was also a prequel, was Enterprise, right? Mm. Because up until Enterprise, they kept moving forward. So there was the original series, there was the next generation, which was way after, like, 100 years after the original series. Mm-hmm. Then Deep Space Nine, which was overlapped uh-huh. next generation a bit. Voyager, which overla- overlapped DS9 a bit. Mm-hmm. So it was just, like, continuous, keep going forward. Right. And then they did Enterprise, which was way back before the original series. Okay. It was, like, the beginning of the Federation entirely. Mm-hmm. Um... And the thing with Enterprise that bothered me, which I think is something that we're going to talk about problems in other prequels as well, is that they tried too hard to make connections to things uh-huh. that they didn't need to. <laughs> Anakin making C-3PO. Like that, yes. <laughs> like, they, those things didn't need to... Like, there were some parts of Enterprise that were great. Like, they started exploring other stuff. They, they did a lot of stuff with, like... The initial relationships between humans and Vulcans, mm-hmm. which was a big thing, that, and then, you know, other races that you didn't see much anymore after the original series, like Andorians and stuff that don't pop up in the later ones, uh. um, which were great. It was neat to see that kind of thing, and we're like, oh, cool, this is how that used to work, and this is why 
Vulcans and humans don't get along and whatever. Uh-huh. Um, but then they would do some stuff that you're just like, they did not need to have Klingons at all because they hadn't run into Klingons yet, according to other timelines that we had known of. Mm-hmm. There was just stuff that they tried to tie in that we were just like, you didn't need to do that. We already know what is happening here. Mm-hmm. We didn't need those right. things. Which so is then, weird because it's almost like, we're doing something for the fans, but the fans are the people and we're like, yeah, that and we're like, are, are no. understand what you're trying to do and are like, we don't need, don't. No, <laughs> stop. no, stop it. And then, so, so Discovery. Um, <laughs> I, I, I just don't understand. It, it doesn't feel at all like it's, it's supposed to be like, Right at the beginning of the original series, apparently, because uh-huh. they literally run into Captain Pike and Kirk, so it's got to be right then. Everything looks like it's from way past Voyager era. Right. That's right. It doesn't look like the original series at all. Mm-hmm. Like even even Enterprise, even though it looked more like modern style stuff, it looked like modern style stuff as in NASA could be doing this in 200 years, which is uh-huh. like the plan. That's kind of how that should have felt. Right. Right. The uniforms felt like that. The the ships looked like, you know, mm-hmm. next step from NASA level things. You know? uh-huh. This is like, it's just so very different. Uh-huh. So very weird. Mm-hmm. So there's that. The feeling that it's like, if you're claiming this is original series, how about you at least try and make it look like it's the original series era? Right. My other thing is a personal thing. Apparently not everybody else gets bent out of shape about them redesigning Klingons every five minutes, but they re- totally redesigned the Klingons, which drives me insane. I was like, they were fine the way they were. You didn't need to make up a whole new Klingon thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this need to tie stuff into things that just didn't need to be tied into. As far as we know, Spock never had a half-adopted sister or whatever the heck she was. Or, like, like, where did this even come from? At all. Like, what is happening? And the whole jump drive? Star Trek has never had a jump drive. Like, ever. Mm-hmm. It's always been warp drive things for the, uh-huh. the travel, space travel. If you wanted this to be Star Trek, you could have said it, like, 100 years after Voyager, and everybody would have been fine with that. Mm-hmm. But the way that they set it up is just that when I'm not believing you that this is original series era at all. Mm-hmm. And the, um, I mean, the, the storylines are darker than usual, mm-hmm. but I was okay with that. Like, I can get that being a, a need in today's mm-hmm. society if you want to make this a slightly right, they, darker they frontier. Darker Lost in Space, which was pretty cool. Right. And I was okay with that. Like, I liked the characters. I liked the, the story that they were doing. Mm-hmm. But it just... I was like, if you're trying to make this fit into what we know of as Star Trek, you're not doing it right. No. So that's my rant on that. <laughs> Discovery. Well, the um, it's interesting because uh, my friend tweeted about this. Uh, Will Ford Conway at, w- at WAFC Studios, if you're out there. Holla. Um, he, he tweeted about how surprise is not good storytelling like just because you were able to say like oh it's a Vulcan and we can make this box sister like that and it's another thing I've heard within the Star Wars fandom specifically and that's what Will was talking about too is that like you make making the universe smaller is the opposite of what fans want if they like the sandbox they want to see somebody build something really cool in the sand not 
make it look like everything that you've seen before. Which is why a lot of people, I know at least for the Star Wars universe, were very upset when they, like, nerfed the extended universe. Mm-hmm. Right. And even in Star Trek, there are a whole series of novels that have nothing to do with any of the TV shows. Mm. Like, they're whole separate crews, they're whole separate ships, they're out there doing all kinds of other stuff. Right. Peter David, one of my favorite oh, yeah, yeah, authors, yeah. has a whole series that was just his. Right. Um, the New Frontier. Mm. It was great, because we want that. We know you have this rich universe that right. you built up. Go do other bits. Uh-huh. You don't have to keep rehashing the same people. Yeah. I mean, okay, maybe if somebody pops up now and then, that's cool. Mm-hmm. But, like, really, there's lots of other stuff to which explore. Is wh- which is why I think it's cool, two things. One, um, it's so rare to have, like, Walt Disney was a great creative mind, but when you see somebody doing, like, Bambi 2, yeah. it's like, I don't need to no. see that. <laughs> but, like, somebody like Stan Lee, he was a really good writer. He set up these characters... And now they're adapting them into movies, and they're taking risks like having the guy that did the trauma movies do Guardians of the Galaxy, and having um, you know Ant Man, somebody like Ant Man, become a major guy that gets multiple um, movies. Um, and so it's it's like having them um, you know um, branch out and have them do um, do these characters in a way that's like modernizing them but also uh validating what makes them awesome is a cool thing to to see that they're not just doing you know we're not on avengers 12 right now like we see um captain america movies that look like thriller you know like espionage thrillers and you have um guardians that's like heist kind of like they're taking chances in, in the formula I mean, it's still the same, similar formula, but they're they're flavoring it different. They're letting people direct things different. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a different tone for some of them. And I was also going to say that uh, having them, because like you know, Sony is sharing the rights to Spider Man, but they didn't just take it back, and they let they're letting them do the Venom movie. Right. And so it's kind of like having them have, you know, their sandbox to play in. That's just the Spider Man universe, and the fact that they are allowing this other company to do something so that they can have an X-Men movie that that Fox does. They can have Spider-Man movies that Sony's doing, and then they have uh, their Avengers kind of universe stuff. Um, it's it's kind of cool to see that diversity among their library of, of characters. So there's my little... Like, there's somebody doing it right. Yeah. <laughs> Just to say but that. They're not even doing prequels. They're doing sequels, which is a different thing. Uh, right. More people have success doing sequels than. But just the point—the point, the point that you were making about discovery is that you, you want to see that diversity within that right. world, right? And not not just um, see somebody doing the same thing, yeah. And trying to they're tie not it pandering in. to the fans, yeah. Or think that they're pandering to the fans when um, they don't know what they're doing. Uh, so yeah, we have um, the to wrap up the a magician's nephew and horse and his boy in the Chronicles of Narnia series which Magician's Nephew is one of my favorite books in that series, and um, there are things that are set up in that, like the professor is a character later on. Um, and, but, the, you know, he very much seemed like he was taking his time to plan out this world right. and explore themes within that book that were specific to that book yeah. and weren't just reiterations of right. other things. Um, so that, that and was I'm, Yeah, I'm pretty sure he had all of that planned before he wrote the whole series mm-hmm. because 
he started, I think he started writing The Magician's Nephew first, but he didn't finish it until almost next to, next to last. And it was one of the hardest ones for him to write. Mm. But he had it in his head while he was writing all the other ones, right. which I think is the way to really do prequels. Like, I, shouldn't, I don't think you should just randomly, oh, let's do a prequel for this guy. You should have it in your mind, even if you don't plan to do a prequel. Mm-hmm. You should have those stories in your mind. Right. Um, I know that's one of the advice that I was seeing for writers in general. Mm-hmm. Even if you never explore those stories, your characters should have interesting backstories because mm-hmm. that makes them a more interesting character. Right. Um, and then that way, if, if you ever do go back and do a prequel, you're like, oh, wait, I already know what's there. And yeah. readers won't feel like, oh, they're throwing this in there to make a prequel make sense. They're like, mm-hmm. no, this we know. You could, that makes total sense that this was in that guy's background because you've had hints of it the whole time mm-hmm. through the books. Right. Anyway, yeah. so this brings us to... <laughs> well, uh, before we get into the... The, the, the prequels of Doom. <laughs> um, I wanted you to, to talk a little bit about Rogue One. Oh, and, okay. Uh, what, what you like about it because the, I feel like there's um, an interesting difference between... Movies that are made like Rogue One, uh, that are stories that we and characters that we haven't seen, and stories that we like we know happened, but you know it was it was a very interesting case because it was like people would always say it's just based off a line in the crawl of um, A New Hope, uh, and that was kind of like the elevator pitch that nerds would give to people that did not know who it right. what it was. Um, so talk about one. Say why you like. So, I like spy thriller type things, uh-huh. and I feel like that felt kind of either like a spy thriller or a heist of some kind, like right. you know where you have to go get the thing. Lo- lovable misfits. Right. Um, oh, that's another thing. So about the characters, I I really liked Jin and uh, Cassian. Mm. I think it was neat to show more in depth the people in the rebellion because really in in the main movies you don't see that many late until more recently mm-hmm. you don't see that many just regular rebellion guys you see right. luke who is like the icon of magic right now mm-hmm. and has to be on the rebellion side uh-huh. or um or you see you know like it's these big major yeah, it's people like a space opera right versus a space as opposed war to movie. these are just the normal these this is the the normal joe schmo that's in the resistance mm-hmm. right or the rebellion at yeah. the time for Rogue One. Um, and how they're not all, uh, you know, the white knight person mm-hmm. that Luke is. Like, right. they're, sorry, I, you're going to get us all shot, so I have to kill you. Like, Cassian <laughs> just shoots the guy yeah. at the beginning. And, you know, showing how rough it was for them to be in the Resistance, showing them losing things mm-hmm. to be in this Resistance. Like, I really liked that. Like, so normally, and me and John fight about this all the time, normally, it, it jokingly, obviously, because I don't really want the Empire to win, but normally I side with the dark side because Darth Vader is really awesome. It's uh-huh. a great character. Right. The way they portray the Empire as these, like, yeah, I'm in power and I'm cool, and what are you going to do about it, people? Like, it's uh-huh. just fun, you know? <laughs> and... she, uh, My sister always uh, RPs as... As the dark side or as Imperial. Yeah. I don't know what the... That's a chaotic... Chaotic neutral, chaotic evil, whatever I am. (laughs) Anyway, 
Well, the Empire is very unlawful evil, though, so whatever. Anyway, <laughs> the point is, <laughs> I'm usually rooting for the dark side. Uh-huh. But Rogue One was the first time I wanted to root for the Rebellion. Because those guys were awesome. That's what I wanted to see. I wanted to see the people who were dying. Not that I wanted them to die, but I mean, you know, <laughs> the people who were dying, giving, giving up their lives. that was an interesting concept to you, yeah. seeing, like, the ground level. The ground level yeah. people who are in there doing the hard stuff to mm. make this rebellion happen, not just the white knight who's out in front, you know, uh-huh. fighting this big cosmic battle. Which yeah. is cool, too. Don't get me wrong. Like I said, like, Return of the Jedi is my favorite one. Mm-hmm. But... Also, probably though, because you still have a bunch of guys on the ground trying to get, <laughs> getting, trying to get stuff done. Um, and I don't know. I just like the 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 feeling of it. The whole there, even even the the guy who was working working for the Empire in air quotes, mm-hmm. but put the flaw in the system, knowing that yes, I'm probably going to give up my life and I will never see my daughter again. And I am, but I am bringing down this terrifying war machine that needs to be brought down. Like, uh-huh. I have to do the right thing here, even yeah. if everybody thinks I'm a horrible person for doing it. Right. Um, that kind of sacrificial stuff going on for the rebellion, I think, was really neat. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Plus, it was just a cool part of the story to see. Like, uh-huh. way to pick one of the better parts of the greater universe to show us. Uh-huh. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I just really enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I think that the um, like I think that there's been a um, because it's like I was saying before, there's a microscope on the because like everybody's root maybe not rooting for but expecting like the Marvel bubble to burst and for all these plans for Star Wars movies to like. Everybody was was um, very aware that there were reshoots for Rogue One, and that there was like all these talks about the tone and whether it was actually going to be a war movie or all these things. So, uh, my 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 opinion of it was that the um, the some of the emotional things in it, I don't know if they were um, earned, but I think that that's it's difficult when you when your basis for these movies is you remember a trilogy where Luke went from whiny farm boy to the, you know, this demigod. (laughs) So, like you're saying, it's not the same type of story. And so, um, like, I I think that when you're, especially when you're doing that kind of thing where, like, there's this band of misfits and you're trying to very much introduce that this is a different type of story while at the same time giving people memorable characters and make it its own thing. Um, I, I don't know if it, it walked the tightrope as well as, as other in other people's opinions they thought it did. But um, I, I uh, thought that um, Solo did a good job in um, doing that, walking the balance between having this um, darker uh, story um, in in the Star Wars universe, introducing a character that you know is going to be set up to be the type of guy that shoots first, Mm -hmm. and and, um, having him have that agency to be who you remember him to be, but also be likable, and have have you accept that um, in this world where there are paragons like Luke who 
uh, just want to do the right thing all the time, um, you know. And and so I I, I thought that they did uh, a good job. They they um, did really well with the the designs and giving it its own unique style. Um, and I, I feel like more than the other one, it really did hit on, like they get, they go into this one uh, dance club and it's like uh, it's like Diana Ross and a little green very white are singing. <laughs> um, so like so they did some of the fun cantina like yeah so like it wasn't stuff. it wasn't all like dour which I think um, was another thing about Rogue One that it was kind of like it wasn't much less lighthearted one you know yeah so um it's it's and that's i don't think that rogue one is a is a bad movie i don't think that it's like 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 i was saying like i've heard critics use the term offensive where like you talk about the prequels and those are offensive yeah (laughs) those those it was not that bad um but uh yeah i I feel like it it, uh, alden ehrenreich did a good job not in trying to ape um, Han Solo, but or or Harrison Ford as Han Solo, but really did a good job, like making you care about that character and having him be um, somebody that was like, you know, a little bit more optimistic, a little bit more, you know, um, you know, uh, foolhardy and stuff like. Well, because he's supposed to be younger. He's not supposed to be quite as jaded yet. Is yeah. my, how I would yeah. picture it. And so you you got that without him being like. Anakin. Yeah, because <laughs> by, by A New Hope, it's very obvious that he's a somewhat jaded, mm-hmm. old hat at this thing in, person. At, at the beginning, uh, it's, it's not really a spoiler, but, you know, you... That's okay. He, he I, I would imagine you would give some stuff away, but... Uh, yeah, well, the um, he he is in love with uh, this other rascal in this, like, um, Oliver Twisty type thing, and so her, him and her are, um, you know, pickpockets and stuff like that, and so... I was worried at first that it would be very, like, YA in that it's, like, this is not Han Solo. This is, like, you know, a 14-year-old right. trapped <laughs> in a 20-year-old body. Like, But it, it, it did get uh, much more, uh, you know, exciting and, and, and adult in the themes that it was talking about. And, and it did a good job constructing a larger story that showed you the Star Wars universe and... Um, you know, uh, another big thing is like, you know, because of all these blockbusters that come out, um, and like I was saying, the reshoots and stuff like that, there are so many like powerful men in suits that are like, this better be, you know, making us money. Um, you, you might expect it to be more generic, but there were times when, you know, you had him and Chewie just having a moment to talk and seeing their relationship build and stuff like that. And, you know, where it was doing actual storytelling and character development. Um, I thought Donald Glover did a good Lando. <laughs> he was He, he was seems fun. to be really happy to be in that role. Yeah. I've seen him do, like, commercials for it and stuff. He's, yeah. He seems really psyched he's, he's that he's a, he's a, And that, that was another major thing is that, like, everybody seemed like they were having fun and, you know, playing in the sandbox of Star Wars, um, but also doing uh, really good, you know, storytelling and... and building up this version of what Star Wars is. Um, so let's get into the fun part. <laughs> well, I, I think, so going back to the, the major theme of this, the, the idea of going back into Darth Vader's past, uh, to me, I'll give them the credit that it's it's not an easy thing to do because this is the definition of evil. Yeah. Like, 
you look at this guy, and you're thinking, I don't want to be in the same room with this person. Um, and so anything that they were going to do was not going to hit that watermark. Well, so... But I don't know why he chose to make a, a political thriller mixed with a children's cartoon. Yeah. Like, of all the things to do, it's so odd that he had that weird thematic right. disconnect with with the... And then... Because there's so many ways they could have gone with this, right? Uh-huh. Like, it, it would have been a bold move because they're hard to do, but you could have made it a total tragedy because it is basically what is happening to Anakin as a tragedy is becoming this horrifying right. villain, right? So you can make this big, long tragedy, which is possible because, I mean, people mm. still read Oedipus and that was, like, the most saddest ending ever. <laughs> but, like, yeah. you know, there are reasons why you can make it a tragedy. Mm-hmm. Or, because we've seen now the new Avengers movie was basically about Thanos. Right. That wasn't really about the heroes. Mm-hmm. That was about the bad guy. Mm-hmm. So it can be done. Yeah. Or, like I've heard some people say, instead of making it about Darth Vader, even though you could show Darth Vader's descent, you make it about Obi-Wan. Right. Because yeah, Obi-Wan is really the hero in that, mm-hmm. and he's the one that gets betrayed, and he's the one that comes out the other side saying, no, I'm going to, you know, go keep an eye on Luke, and when he's ready, we can do this thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Basically, it's kind of right. what he was waiting, hopefully, what he was waiting around on that planet for. I don't know why else he would have been, like, me- meandering around the desert. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so they could have made it about Obi-Wan. They could have gone ahead and made it a tragedy. Mm-hmm. Or, like they're doing with these Star Wars stories, mm-hmm. pick a different story style mm-hmm. and explore that. So you could have made a political thriller about how the Empire came to be, because I still don't understand it. Yeah. Like, really? I have no idea. I'm like, okay, so I get that there was some sort of actual Senate and Republic, and it became the Empire? I have no idea how. Other than apparently Palpatine did something crazy. Yeah. Politically. (laughs) That I don't understand. Very vague. It's very weird. That involved the E.T. aliens somehow being in the Senate. And I, I just I don't understand at all why what happened. Why is E.T. evil? I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think that the... Um, to, his, to his credit, he was trying different things. He was trying to make a, a, a funny fish character. <laughs> I don't um, understand that either, but uh, but and, and I think I think it is it is faulty grits for all the people that grew up with this thing that was epic, and then they're super disappointed when it's it's continued and it's you know less than what they expected. Um, I think that one thing that that gets brought up um, in fandom is about um, you know this thing is new, but it doesn't like. Since people were so violently angry about that franchise, um, you know, now when a Ghostbusters movie comes out and it has women in it, everybody's like, it destroyed my childhood. But it's like, yeah, no, those no, movies are still there. Yeah. Get nobody's grip. touching them. You nobody, still have nobody's, a, nobody rewrote the history of Darth Vader over you, Yeah, which is what happened with those prequels. Mm-hmm. With Star Trek, nobody rebooted your entire universe. Mm-hmm. Like you don't hear Star Trek fans fussing about that so much. I mean, oh. we did at the time, maybe, but you know, but like whatever. I, as as like, a as a writer, I see those specific stories as those stories. Yeah. And if I need to, or or remember the the hurt of <laughs> seeing these characters done a different way that I don't like, it doesn't invalidate the fact that those stories exist. Somewhere. Right. Just the version that. Or like I the new understand. Ocean's Eight that's coming out. 
I'm not. A, I think that looks really cool. The new one. Ocean's Eight. Uh, I think it's the new Lord of the Rings. Which no, they are doing an Amazon series. What? Of that, yeah. Um, they, it might just be to keep the film rights. Are they doing Lord of the Rings or are they doing Silmarillion? Because they should totally do the Silmarillion if that's what they're doing. Is the Silmarillion name in a narrative? Yeah, it's a long one. It's oh. like Genesis, but you can totally oh. do it. Oh, okay. I thought it was like a a long version of the appendices. No, no, no. It's like, and this is this. No, there's like explains this thing. wars and stuff that happen in the Silmarillion. Oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe I'll, I'll read that. You should. Time. It's awesome. It we makes, should, maybe we'll everything should. makes so much more sense, John. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's true. So, yeah, so... Uh, in, in, oh, wait, in, I have one more thing to talk about. Oh, okay. So, cool. it's not just that the narrative itself, I think, was weird with <sighs> the prequels. Uh-huh. It's like they... It's like, did Lucas not understand why Vader was a villain? Like, did uh-huh. he have not have proper reason? Like, because, I mean... Yes, eventually they get to the reason of something about, like, his wife dying, and so now he's mm-hmm. this tortured person that, like... But, yeah. like, it happens yeah, so quickly. There was quickly. this interesting... It was, it was the concept of he is incapable of, uh, you know, like, there's this whole power thing. Right. The promise of power meaning that everything goes the way I want it to, and that power power being understood as I get what I want all the time. Right. So I'm guessing they were trying to lure... Because I know there was something about, like, if you join the dark side, you can bring your wife back. Uh-huh. Was right. the concept, right? But, but, like you were saying, the idea of making him the hero... Right. You you hate you hate him before... You hate him before the movie starts. Like, you already yeah. know he's what he's going to be. Yeah. So... so th- there needs to be something darn compelling... Yeah. ...in the story to make you accept uh, the things that he does. Right. What, what, and like, and especially when they start him as this like innocent kid that doesn't understand what he is, right? And don't change his innocence until like there's a lot of scenes where it's just lip service is paid to the fact that he's a slave, right? Or lip service is paid to the fact that they're the Tuscan Raiders that took his mom and stuff right. like that. Like there's a lot. That's of... That's what I expected. I expected after because the first one I was like, okay, fine, we need to know where he is and that he's a slave and that. Mm-hmm. They find out that he has all these powers, whatever. Okay, great. That's a good setup. Right. Now let's see why he becomes this horrible, bitter person. Right. And I expected him to go home and find his mother dead or sold to some other slave person and get uh-huh. have him needing to rescue his mother and not being able to right. trigger his whole thing. Yeah. Not, now he's suddenly a teenager who can't have the girly ones. Like, where did this even come from? Like, but yeah, they, they jumped too much. They keep they kept flipping what the, I mean, the tone is not the right way to put it. Like it's like, they're they kept they're, flipping they're, his motivation. Yeah, I'm like, what is his goal? Yeah, his goal is not to become Darth Vader because he doesn't know that. Yeah, his goal is not to become I am going to be the most you, evil you thing. You very ever. much see George Lucas's hand pulling different things and showing like, okay, he's forced to make this decision here because he wants. Is now <laughs> because the script needs him to. Right. It's not like. And even then, if you're gonna make him that kind of person, where he's like, "I need to have what I want right now," do that in the first movie. Right. They didn't do that in the first movie. Yeah, it's just like, and and, and so people have made it seem like it's the type of stories that he was telling because they're so it's so distracting to have Jar Jar Binks doing like a Three Stooges thing and having a lot of world building going on. At the same time. Right. But I don't see why you couldn't have done, like, 
something like an Indiana Jones, where there is, like, like Temple of Doom. It's very dark, but it's still, like, you accept it as part of this tapestry of the Indiana Jones universe. And so... I mean, it's not like the other Star Wars movies don't have comical things going on in the background in world building. They all do. But yeah. you, you can do it in such a way where the problem if is your main character isn't character. compelling enough, yeah. then we're not going to be paying attention to that. Yeah. And that's was the main problem. Yeah. I was um, like, this is Anakin Skywalker. Can you make this not be this whiny person that we don't want to watch? Yeah. Um, so, uh, anyway, sorry. Those were the, those were the prequels. More. We survived talking yes. about them. Um, so, uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for listening. Um, and, uh, uh, enduring us uh, ranting and raving about <laughs> the, the problem with modern uh, interpretations of classic characters. Um, for those of you who enjoy this podcast, we now have a Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash thinkoutsidethebox. And our uh, inspiration to do this is because we um, enjoy talking about stories. Uh, we enjoy reading and, and um, analyzing the uh, meaning behind um, the things that we read, and we enjoy discussing those things. Uh, but we want to create a community of, of um, people that enjoy these types of things and want to uh, want the show to improve, and and want us to um, you know be able to do things like playthroughs and uh, live RPGs where we can um, you know uh, do you know charity events and, and things of that nature. And, um, you know, we're both authors. I'm, I have a book out called Cain and Abel, and I'm working on getting uh, my second book, Childish Things, edited. Um, and so uh, if you want to support two artists that um, want to share more art, more music, writing, articles, uh, and want to, sh- want to share this idea of thinking outside the box and um, bringing, you know, a, a different perspective uh, both in our writing and in the things that we make, and also in, in deeper discussions and deeper dives, um, you can go to patreon.com slash thinkoutsidethebox, and uh, I have a list of um, our tiers. My, our first is called uh, Stream of Consciousness, where you get access to our stream of updates, brainstorms, and works in progress. Uh, our second tier is Movie Trailer Voice, um, where... Uh, you can um, get access to our random movie minicasts, which we're going to record um, uh, war games right after this. And if you uh, want to listen to that, you can um, join that tier and, and get that on our Patreon page. We have third-person omniscient, um, where you can uh, get access to random creative, creative outbursts like music clips, poetry, flash f- fiction, and blogs. Uh, we have auteur theorist. Uh, at eight dollars, where you can unlock uh, music re- rehearsed art articles, sorry, research articles, and video reviews, and uh, the f- fifth tier is magical realism realized, where you can. I love the name of that. Get, by the way. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Um, where you get access to our eBooks, uh, fully produced singles, and high res art. Um, really, this is our opportunity to make bigger and better things for you guys and. Um, also have you be able to um, see our thought process and see um, the things that we like and so that you can you know maybe get inspired yourself and learn about the art artistic process um, and also um, 
you know, share your things with us. Um, so we, again, appreciate your, your listening. And um, uh, Don't we forget, also we have... are still uh, holding a, our first live RPG invitational. We'll be playing Arecibo, which is a setting for Fate Core. Um, it will be at Seventh Dimension in Jenkintown on June 30th. So you have some time still to get in on either having a seat at the table to play with us, which will be live streamed on Twitch, or to be part of our secret council, which will be on a Discord chat where you will be able to influence the direction of the game. Or you can just uh, subscribe and keep uh, being updated on the pod pledge. So uh, that one is being hosted on podpledge.com slash Arecibo, or you can also find it on my website at momtoast.wordpress.com. So those of you who are already finding our podcast hopefully can reach that and pledge. All right. Thanks a lot, guys, and see you later. Thank you. Talk to you later.